Yippee-ki-yay, folks! This is episode 161 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by mountains. They are always there. They're constantly dealing with entropy, further dissolving into chaos with big cleaves of rock and little tiny grits of sand constantly coming down. They provide no guarantees, but all the potential, the potential for adventure, for gazing at the landscape, for building, and a lot of other things I don't really understand. But I'm sure there's a mountain near you. And if you want to support this podcast, go and find a mountain, and do something about it. Look at it, climb it, touch it, write about it, and that'll support this podcast. This episode features Madding Patelis. He's a former mountain guide and educator. He transitioned to becoming an adventure photographer to explore his um, creative side and he was introduced to being an entrepreneur. From the interviews that I've had with other photographers, it seems like an industry where you really have to advocate for yourself and your living really rests on your own shoulders. You have to hustle. Matting pivoted from that role and he got into the hunting apparel industry. Matting's tradition or family tradition was hunting but he wasn't really into hunting in his youth as an adult he circled back and he fell in love with hunting and hunting was a way for him to connect with the landscape and other people Madding's very passionate about finding ways to make the outdoors and hunting, foraging, conservation, a more uh, accessible space for people. And that really shows through his company with Hunt to Eat, where they have some podcasts, a magazine, uh, and hunting camps. And the hunting camps, which are held throughout the United States, he takes people who are mostly new- newcomers to the, to the experience, and s- some people who are experienced, and teaches them how to hunt a particular species of animal, goes over tactics, uh, and field dressing, caring for your meat, and different ways to cook the meat. All of this is a platform for character development, connecting with people on their values, um, and his values, or their company's values um, and developing a sense of conservation and a sense of place you can check out more about that at hunttoeat.com you can find them on Instagram at hunttoeat without any further ado here's Maddie Patelis so you're the um, owner of uh, the company Hunt to Eat right? Yep. And what do you guys do? So we are a uh, hunting lifestyle brand. Um, we focus on everything from, uh, from apparel to media to education in the hunting space. 
how long have you been hunting for? Um, I've been hunting for 12 years now. I'm one of the, what they call like a, like a late onset hunter. Um, I started when I was 20, what, 28, 20, 26, 28, something like that. Wow. Um, yeah. So I still feel like a newbie a lot of days, but, uh, I guess I do have a fair amount of experience hunting elk and deer. So probably more elk than anything else, but, uh, yeah, Colorado is a pretty good place to be a hunter. Oh, I bet. Being living in Washington, I'm I'm a little envious, but I love our mountains. So, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it, so you started later in life. Did your family have a history of hunting? Um, they did. Well, you know what's interesting is I never I never really put it together. But my dad actually, while he's hunted for a really long time, he actually only started hunting when he was like 26 or 28 as well. So um, he got in uh, with some some of his buddies brought him, I think to, to deer camp and he, he got hooked. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I grew up in a hunting household. Um, uh, I'd say like my, most of my recreation as a kid was as a boy scout, actually. Um, we had a Latvian boy scout troop, um, huh. that kind of got pretty out there. So, um, did you guys yeah, me and my, do yeah, any traditional ahead. Latvian things in the boy scout group? Um, <laughs> Well, so like when it comes to Latvian traditions, we are a, well, like, we're like an Uber Latvian family, right? So it's my first language. Um, I went to kindergarten knowing just a little bit of, of English. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I spent every summer at Latvian camp, um, wow. every summer of high school, even in like Latvian boarding school during the summers. Um, yeah, the whole nine yards. So, um, yes, our, our Boy Scout troop was Latvian. And so we were, we actually had the, uh, our, the main guy that was like the overarching kind of like leader of the Latvian scouting movement. He was actually our troops, like main, yeah, I don't know, headmaster or whatever. No they way. Yeah. So, um, so you're like yeah, HQ. So I, yeah, we were kind of, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. It was good. We had some good scouting instructors and, uh, you know, mostly parents or whatever, but, um, yeah, they got us out and we had a good time. So, um, but I definitely grew up, my dad was a hunter. So we grew up kind of going into the woods and helping him build blinds and, you know, looking at sign and kind of, I learned how to be a hunter. I just never actually killed anything myself until much later in life. Just no, no desire. Did your parents or did your dad try to like encourage you to do that? Or was it very, um, it was just a, let's just call it just like a, not great relationship with my dad. Oh yeah. Um, I understand. Yeah. So that was pretty much it. So my brother hunted brother became a hunting guide, fishing guide, and then now a, a hunting celebrity. Um, so yeah, he kind of, he went that route and, uh, and I just showed up later in life and he actually, and then my brother was the one who actually taught me how to, um, hunt elk here in Colorado. Wow. So, well, what, what yeah. did recreation mean to you when you were, you know, you were before you started hunting and stuff and what kinds of things were you into? Um, so I was, uh, I was a big, uh, played hockey as a kid, a whole bunch. Um, and then rollerbladed BMX. Yeah. Um, BMX. And then, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, in high school, honestly, it was just like being a delinquent mm -hmm. <laughs> running, around with, running around with frisbees and, you know, I don't know, just. Yeah, being that, a kind of, I kind of let a lot of the recreation stuff go in high school, and just, I don't know. 
when I was, I was a kid, yeah. when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't have any examples of like, re- or how to recreate. And a lot of people around me were, I wouldn't necessarily say delinquents. I'd say I was, but yeah. my like the adults around me were crazy as, as hell. And <laughs> you know, they, they like had a lot of struggles and it was just really hard to look, to be able to look up to them and want to lead that whole lifestyle. Um, yeah. but without those examples, you know, I grew up as an adult being introduced in to these, all, all these different things that you can do with your life, you know, outside of, yeah. the of course. Um, but for me, that really helped me cope and deal with like all of the, the desires and impulses and bullshit that I had going on in my head. Um, yep. And now that I like talk to those people who I grew up with, it's really interesting introducing them to those things and seeing how it like it changes them a little bit or it makes them a little more excited about, you know, maybe things that are a little more constructive. Um, totally. Um, I was I'm, I don't often share this story, but I was uh, very lucky to have one of the like kind of linchpin people in my life was the uh, English teacher, um, Mrs. Fox in uh, in like. I think I had her for a couple of different years, but, uh, in 10th, I believe it was in 10th grade. It was a yeah, it was a couple of years inter, intermixed between me ending college or ending high school and, and that moment. But she essentially, um, there was a, we were studying trans, the transcendental writers, right. Of like, mm-hmm. like East coast, uh, Emerson, all those folks. And, uh, I mean, I skipped school so much and just was like a really poor, um, you know, poor grades and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I came into her class one day and she's like, yeah, we've got like the big, you know, it's the end of the year test. It's like four essays on the transcendental writers, you know, like, here you go, sit down get to work. And, uh, it's the easiest four essays I've ever written. Right. Cause it's all just about like being out in the woods and like what nature means to you and like, you know, kind of what it means to be human in this world and like all this just that whole thought process. Right. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like, all I ever want to do is just like go run around in the woods and be wild and free in the woods. Right. So I sat down and wrote the essays and she was like, she shook her head and she was like, what's going to happen here. And I ended up getting like 110%, like a plus on it and saved my whole, uh, you know, save my GPA for the semester. Um, that makes so you feel amazing. And wow. that there is something like intrinsically good about, that conversation, right. That I can just pull it out like that. Um, but what it made her do is she somehow or another found a, uh, uh, at the time it was like a book that Prescott college, um, put out that was like their, you know, it's how they recruited people to come to the college. And she gave me, gave me the book and was like, Hey, you should check out this school. I think this would be a really good fit for you. And I remember like looking through it and just being like, seeing all the crazy stuff people were doing, right. It was like a full on um, wilderness education. Like you could get a degree in wilderness education. Right. And I was like, Holy cow, this is cool. You can go like rock climbing for a college course. Um, and then I looked at the back cover and it was like, it was the average GPA of incoming students was like, you know, like a 3.2 or something like that. And then the cost of the school, cause it was a private school. And I looked at those two things and I was like, no way is this happening. Like, you know, no way. And then lo and behold, like four years later, all the time goes by and I'm in this program and somebody asked me like what I want to do. And it just like popped in my head and was like, I want to go to Prescott college. And it was like, and then I, whatever, another year later and, uh, ended up writing some grants and got myself into school. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting a degree in wellness education with a focus in, uh, 
uh, adventure education with a focus in wilderness leadership. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't believe that seeing, hearing you go through that, that experience in school and not, it not lining up with you and you're like struggling you get connected that way and you just like, you eventually just flourish. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, it's it, a trip. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, you got to thank those. Uh, there's a couple of people in high school, man, like two teachers in high school that are some of the most, uh, you know, undervalued people that make the biggest differences, you know, mm-hmm. like they just, they just see a glimmer of hope and they like, they push at it and it's a really good thing. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm uh, eternally grateful for her. Unfortunately, she died of cancer, but oh. the other one's uh, my uh, my other English teacher, a journalism teacher who really promoted my uh, photography work, um, which ended up being something I did as a, for a living as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, Miss Fox and Miss Pancop, two really good teachers that I'm forever grateful for. That's, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, and those, like, those few people, you know, those make all the difference in someone's life you know yep and and that's what i yeah. get with people who are, who struggle with repetitive behavior that might not be in their best interest it's almost like if you you know if you took all of that energy um or that even that skill set um and replaced it in a different context right you yeah. might just see them excel and look at you like i've you know i've even seen your photography and there's i know a lot of people who are interested in photography but then i know fewer people who've actually been professional photographers yeah, it's not. <laughs> I don't recommend it. It's not, not, it's not oh. an easy living. Oh, really? It's not? <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a hustle for sure. Um, yeah, but it's, but it's a lot of fun when you get to do it professionally. So, um, yeah, you know, if you really want to do it, and it's worth doing, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, cool. So you were guiding for, um, for climbing and stuff like that. Yeah. As a yeah. So, w- yep. Once I graduated from college, I did about seven years of, uh, essentially adventure education work. So, um, working everything from, you know, from, from climbing, guiding and Telluride to whitewater raft guiding to doing kind of like expedition work with, you know, high schoolers and, and college kids. Um, so kind of ran the whole gamut of that world. Um, what did you yeah. see in those things that you didn't see in hunting or what did you see in those things that made you love them so much? Like, at the um, there, if you, I think it's just important to put people outside for extended periods of time. Um, mm-hmm. I think when you break down, like not having the, the luxuries of, you know, of home and shelter and you've got to deal with that yourself, um, you get really self-reliant. Um, and then you've got to, you've got to depend on people. You got to depend on your community. So there's a ton of community building and a ton of, um, just seeing, seeing what you're made of, seeing like how, how self-reliant you can be. Um, and that is just ultimately, I think, particularly for kids, you know, anybody from fifth grade to, you know, college kids, that's just a great time to influence those folks. Um, to be more self-reliant and to, you know, not deal with their helicopter parents and all that kind of stuff. And like pack your backpack every morning and hit the road. Right. And like, it's a, it seems basic, but it's, uh, I think there's some serious skills for life that, that transcend into, into daily life. So, uh, yeah. What about something worth worthwhile? What about that experience, um, lends itself to those kinds of teachings and, and self-learning that, that like plain theory, doesn't um fulfill you know like talking about it and mm. like, 
the strategic approach to this is how I should behave or this is I should be disciplined and planned and all that. Yeah. I mean, consequences, right? Real, real consequences, real life consequences, right? You can talk in theory all you want, but if, if, if you've never experienced a thunderstorm coming in and drenching all your stuff because you didn't set up your tent fast enough, right. Mm -hmm. Then like, or if you just didn't organize your gear well enough and, and you know, like the mouse ate, you know, half your granola and now you're hungry. Like it's just real life consequences. And I think that's, we're pretty removed from those things these days. Um, there's a lot of ways to not deal with real life consequences these days. Um, so yeah, I think that's, yeah. And it's hard consequences. To, to ground them in what, and it's hard to create a baseline because when you don't experience it, right, the baseline's all up here and it's how we feel yeah. we should impose that baseline to other people. And like yeah. an effort is something that I think a lot, because even if I experience it and I know what should be done and how reality is, if I try to impose that explicitly on my son, without giving him the experience, you know, and allowing him to work through it, maybe mm -hmm. being there with him. Um, I find that even my own corruption sneaks in, you know, maybe like I like have really high expectations because of some shit I'm, or stuff I'm projecting onto him. Um, right. or, or I have, I'm being really, I don't want to hurt his feelings, you know, because I'm worried to have his opinion of me or something like that. All of those, like, I don't know. And I notice that all the time it's, it's hard to be honest in that way. And it's hard to, I always have to like reassess where I'm coming from to make sure that what I'm trying to teach him is coming from a place like of actual intent, you know, and mm -hmm. when I go up and I, we go backpacking or we go hiking or whatever, like that effort's there. And like, you know, I might be able to carry him, but one day I can't carry him and I can't carry him the whole way, you know? And yeah, like I think it's uh it, it lends itself to the conversation of uh, facilitation versus like, teaching somebody something, right? Like there's a lot of, um, sure. I would teach them once how to like turn on a stove and use it, but ultimately I'm just facilitating a process. Um, and so, you know, I can't teach you how to walk up a trail and exert effort. Right. I can, but I can facilitate a process where you're going to, you're going to have to walk up that trail for the entire team to be successful, to get to the top of that mountain. Right. And so you're going to deal with the consequences of every, of, you slowing down or if you not drinking enough water and you're not, you're not eating enough snacks, whatever it might be. Um, and I think that, yeah, that, that's really, it's really fun to facilitate someone's experience in that way. Right. You're not really, you're just like, you're kind of like the guardrails to make sure they don't fall off the mountain, but really it's, it's just up to them to look inside and see what, what, uh, what's there and what they can pull out of themselves. Um, yeah. In, um, which is ultimately entrepreneurship <laughs> in, yep. in our um, average experience or like the average kiddo that you'd meet or even person that you'd meet is that an experience that they'd commonly have had before or would have if they had not done this experiential education mm, I don't think so I mean I, I was lucky enough to work with like inside of some private schools where they had you know, they had an adventure program was like part of their, they started in, boy, I think they, those kids started in like third or fifth grade with their first thing. And then ultimately there was a progression that saw them through to their senior year where they had a two week long expedition. Um, wow. so, you know, for those kids, yes, they're privileged 
Rovich kids and, you know, and, uh, SoCal that, you know, had that kind of thing lined up for them in those schools. Um, but no, in general, I mean, even just the kind of daily, um, you know, rock climbing, guiding or whitewater rafting adventure or whatever, that was people's vacations or whatever. It's not something that they're necessarily always getting into, but, um, even in those situations, there was a fair amount of, you know, breaking down some of the, like the family dynamics and stuff of who takes care of who, when everybody's got to have a, you know, a paddle in the water to make this thing work, right. To get down a river effectively, like dad pulls too hard on one side of the boat. Right. And doesn't match the effort on the other side. We're going to spin around in a circle, you know, and it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't solve the problem. Um, just because you can do more, doesn't necessarily mean you, you need to. Right. And I think that's, it's one of those things where people don't, they're not going to recognize that in the moment as we float down a river, mm-hmm. but hopefully you, you hope that there's a little grain of sand that gets stuck, you know, in them that when they go home, they're like, Oh, and they can see the, the, the you know, they can see how it reflects in their daily life when they do things. So, yeah. I uh, find that long-term learning, you know, it's all, and it's motivated through, uh, at least in part through play. Right. Totally. Yeah. And that's, uh, I always think about the jungle gym. Like you never really had to tell kids to go to recess. Well, most kids to go to recess, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Play to- is a, play is a really good thing. My sister's a, uh, a like a young ch- child education. Um, she teaches like everything from kindergarten or preschool to like third grade. And she just is always talking about the importance of play, um, play and discovery, you know, for young kids. It's just so important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so. I've uh, really connected with that. Even when I go to a trampoline park or like in my friend and I, like my best friend and I were teach jujitsu and uh, we teach kids jujitsu and then he teach adults jujitsu. And we would go to a trampoline park for like a kid's birthday, you know, my sons or something like that. And our favorite thing is, is like, well, we're at a trampoline park. We get to do aerials now. Like we get to try to do flips and stuff. And so we get there and we just get all excited. And then all of a sudden, like all these kids start migrating and there's like you know around us and how do you do this Mm -hmm. or hey i could do this trick and then you know there's like 20 percent of the adults are probably on the trampoline and 80 or like sitting back you know and and relaxing and i always think about that because every time we go to the trampoline the kids would just congregate and then it would just be like hey 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 and we with my best friend we also work with emotionally and behaviorally delayed children in the school system and like we go on field trips and go rollerblading and we would always be like racing each other around the, the, the skating rink and all these other things. And like, you know, I feel even so alive and I'm like having so much fun. And when these kids are a part of it, like they just glue onto that. And I never understood that. And then I think about it and like, I didn't really have a lot of adults who played with me, you know, or who, mm. who guided. Cause I don't like play yeah. with me. It's like my friend and I are right. playing together and when they want to play, they can participate or not. Most of the time they're just looking and do it themselves. And right. I'm like, this, this feels really good. And this is like, it makes me feel like happy and like having fun. And I don't, I don't really remember talking to my mom um, about having experiences like that from hmm. perspective, you know? Yeah. I mean, either. I mean, my mom was essentially a single mom that raised the three of us kids. Um, and yeah, it's, I just saw her go to work every day, mm-hmm. you know, get it done and come home and feed us. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it's a good thing when, when adults play with kids and they get on their level. Um, it's good for the adults. It's good for the kids. 
Yeah. <laughs> and how yeah. did uh, your rock climbing and your adventure sports, how did that influence your character? Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dealing with fear. There's a lot of, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, like you said, I think it's like the taking the, the, all the energy I had and putting it towards something a little bit better. Right. Like I probably, I still generally call myself and like, I think of myself as an addict. Um, if I don't have the right addiction, I could very easily have the wrong addiction. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, climbing is one of those things I did, did it 300 days a year. Like if I wasn't working, I was climbing, um, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, it was good. Um, but it was like, thank God it was a good, a good thing. And I didn't, you know, it didn't become a bad thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, there's, I guess there's just not, there's not, you don't need a lot to go rock climbing, right. Particularly if you're bouldering, uh, we spent a lot of time romping around Joshua tree. Um, and I would just run, we would just run around the desert barefooted in shorts with our chalk bag and our, you know, our shoes in our hand and, and, uh, climb boulders and whatnot. Right. And so just wow. like, so um, it's a very simple, yeah, it's totally, yeah. We're romping around playing. It's, uh, yeah. Right. And it's like, it was great. I got to spend, spend a lot of time working in Joshua tree too. So I would like work for two weeks, you know, and when you're working, you're, it's day in day night, right? Like if some, if a kid wakes up in the middle of the night with bloody nose, like you're running over their tent dealing with whatever they just did. Wow. Um, so it's a lot of like, now we're working. And then it was like, okay, we're not working. So I've got two weeks off and I'm going to play for those two weeks. So, um, that's a good, it's a good, simple life, I guess. Um, yeah. From, from the perspective of like, probably not the teachers that you had the, you know, good interaction with, but maybe like your other teachers or your, maybe your principal or your administrator, that'd be, that's like day and night, man. <laughs> like that's like, you're working your, your, your ass off for all these things that you, you know, you love for, to go and yeah. play and to go and help out these kiddos and stuff like that. Um, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a bit of a, I definitely had a turnaround. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really care much for high school. And then once I got, there was a bit of seriousness that showed up when I got into college. And I mean, I went from not barely graduating high school to like a three, eight, you know, GPA my first semester of college. Cause it, it all of a sudden it mattered, right. I was paying for it. Um, it was on, it was on me to go do. Um, so I think that that's probably like in, in that character development, um, mm -hmm. started to realize that after high school, there was a lot less, um, coddling of my parents and all that kind of stuff. And it was very much a, whatever you're going to do, you're going to go do on your own. Um, and that just, that hit hard. Um, that hit hard, honestly, when my dad was just like, Hey man, if you want to go to college, like you're paying for it. And I was like, cool, I don't have any money. So how's this going to work? You yeah. know? Um, so there was just some hard conversations there. Um, but it worked, you know, it worked. And, um, I went and, you know, worked my ass off in a bunch of different ways to get to where I am. So, um, you know, it's interesting you were saying with your, with your son of like, not necessarily knowing what's possible or like having too high of expectations of him. Um, if he doesn't have context around how to get there, how to do that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, it's an interesting conversation inside of entrepreneurship. It's also an interesting conversation inside of like, now these days I'm an ultra runner. So I've gone through kind of, um, I'm all in when I'm in on one, like a uh, thing, I'm like all in. So I, mm -hmm. I was all in on 
climbing rocks. And then I was all in on, um, like road racing, uh, road bikes. And then ultimately I've ended up at, at an, as an ultra runner. Um, and I just finished my hundred first hundred miler and you know, people were just right. like, thank you. And it, and it's one of those things where I look back on it right now and I'm like, it wasn't that hard. Um, mm -hmm. but it literally, and people were like, how's that possible? And I'm like, well, I started by running a mile and I was rushed the first time I ran a mile, like eight years ago. I mean, I had not run in ages since I don't even know when, and I literally couldn't walk for like the next two days. So I was so sore. Oh. Right. And then like, then there was a 5k and then there's a 10k, right. A little bit. And then all of a sudden it's a half marathon and then it's a <laughs> marathon. And then, you know, this year I've been running a marathon a month. Um, and it just, it like your, as you grow and as the context for what, what's possible, as that thing expands, it, uh, it just does expand, right? It, it's not like you go from, I just ran a 5k. That was easy. Now I'm going to run hundred miles. It's like, mm -hmm. no, there's a progression to all that stuff. And, um, I guess the, the limiting factor is always us on how far that progression goes. Um, and where we think we're going to stop ourselves versus having a mindset of, no, let's, let's, let's go over that next hill. Let's go over that next mile, you know? Um, yeah. I think, and I think ultra running, um, is one of the kinds of recreation or activities that embodies that. Like it's a way yeah. to practice the, the, um, general persistence, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like, oh yeah it's consistent too, because it doesn't really change. It's like, you know, the parameters, so you can go there and build that. And I'm sure that that helps you in your, as an entrepreneur as well, you know, having that persistence and diligence and knowing when to pull the plug or to keep going with your goal. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting conversation. Cause I've literally been thinking about that a lot recently. Um, as we, you know, being an entrepreneur, is, it's not easy, right? Like there's, I didn't go to school to, run my own business. Right. I went to school to like teach people how to climb rocks and stuff and how to set up a tent. Um, so there's a lot of learning I've had to do on like, how do you set up QuickBooks? You know, like how do you hire an accountant? How do you run my marketing program? Um, and it's just stuff I don't know. So I'll say that it's actually much easier to run a hundred miles than it is to be a CEO every day because the, like you said, the parameters don't ever change in running a hundred miles, right. Or running any distance, you mm -hmm. put one foot in front of the other, then you put one foot in front of the other and it just repeat it. Right. And so as long as you've got, you know, <laughs> a Coke in your hand, as long as you got yeah. calories in your body and like water in your body, you rinse and repeat that process until you're done. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's awesome about ultra running is that no one really cares if you do it in, you know, 12 <laughs> hours or you do it in 36 hours. It just doesn't matter. Um, but with running a business, it's like, man, there's a lot of different ways forward and no one's telling you like that one really works. or this one really works. If anything, there's a bunch of people saying, Hey, this one works. Like come over here and you yeah. pay me money and I'll show you how to do it. And you're Everywhere. like, Oh, that's utter nonsense. You just wanted my money. Um, so boy, I'd rather run a hundred miles every day than be the CEO of a company. But, um, you know, I say that in jest a little bit. Um, but, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's just a lot, there's a lot of moving parts, um, to running a, your own company that like, that don't ever stay, they don't ever stay the same really. Like mm -hmm. they're always evolving and changing and stuff. So, um, yeah. But that's, you know, when you, when you're going to go hunting, right. You don't go, 
necessarily, you don't hunt for the same animal to practice for your hunt. You, you, break it down into compartmental things that you can, you know, you can repeat that are consistent. You know, you practice at a certain yardage, right? You practice like on your knees, you practice in all these different kinds of configurations so that when you are performing and and the unexpected happens, you could be reasonably prepared. And that's where, you know, the same thing with uh, weightlifting is concerned where like, if you want to see any results, right. You don't have to like deadlifting is the only way to get strong. It's like, no, if you move, in one pattern that's difficult enough, but not too difficult. And you repeat that and it's consistent. Eventually your body will grow, you know, and then things will be easier. And how I see like running is, is running is a consistent way to, to get to that place of endurance. Right. And knowing what it's like to be persistent. And since it's not changing, you can actually practice that. And it's like so easy because, well, it's kind of hard, but (laughs) you can put your (laughs) shoes on and yeah, you know, get some water and have some calories in you and just go, like, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. great. It is good. Um, yeah. And yeah. Do you yeah. think that you got, um, do you get different, like, do you develop a different skill set? not just physically, but like mentally and with your, with your character personality in running than you did when you were climbing or is it like, you know, cause you're not um, obviously afraid when you're running. Yeah, no, I think, I think there, there is different. Um, it is different. Uh, there's a lot of in climbing, there was a lot of overcoming fear and, um, particularly with the heart, the harder climbing got, um, generally speaking, I'd say that there was, um, also more risk involved. Um, and so you were dealing with not only climbing harder, but also overcoming the fear in that you had more risk, right? Well, like whether your gear is farther apart, you know, like you're, you're higher up on a wall doing these hard moves, that kind of thing. Um, and with just like the, 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 the very real, the harding, the harder climbing got the more intense that one hard move was. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's very, uh, it's a very here and now short thought, you know, short efforts, um, even, even in like a long effort in climbing, right. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of like going up one route or something. I mean, um, and then you get a break before you maybe do it again. Um, if you're on a big wall or something like that, but it's not necessarily the duration's not that long. Um, whereas my ultra, you know, my hundred miler took me, um, 20 hours, 48 minutes and 38 seconds. Uh, I won't, I won't ever rem- forget those numbers. Oh. Um, but you know, that's nearly an entire day of Mm -hmm. forward progress, right? Like in those 20 hours, I sat down or was stationary for two of them. Um, so I had, so I had 18 hours, 18 and a half hours, essentially of (laughs) constant motion. Um, so yeah, I think in that sense, there's, um, it's, it's, it's it's a little different. Um, you know, and I'm always like, I'm not, people, my dad was, my dad was out there with me as uh, one of my crew and, uh, it was fun. Cause it was, this is actually a, like a road, mar- uh, road ultra marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we could have crew like nonstop cause we were on public roads. Um, and so he rode his bike with me for a while and he was asking me, he's like, what do you think about while you're running out here all day? And the, the reality is I think about right now, right here, the next step, the next step, the next breath, 
the next person I'm going to catch. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I race, like I race hard. I that's, I love, I'm super competitive, um, and like it. And so, I mean, I caught two people in the last half mile. My, my fastest mile was like a, I think I did a eight, eight Oh six mile, like somewhere near 50 miles. Wow. Yeah. And then the, the second, the second fastest mile I did was the last mile. Um, and then we, we busted, we busted out like another eight Oh eight Oh eight mile, um, in that last mile. And we caught two people right in the last like quarter mile and passed them. Dude, um, finishing strong, man. I'm always racing, you know, always racing. And, uh, and it's, I don't know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm pretty, cu- I'm pretty cutthroat about it as well. Right. Like there's a, I noticed it when people did it to me early on in my racing days is that like, you might feel bad, right. But the, mm-hmm. your competitor doesn't know what you feel like. Mm-hmm. And so if you can fake it <laughs> when you come past them and they'll get a little bit by them, like I would just, I'd stride it out. I'd come past people and make sure my form is good and just go hard and, and people get devastated when that happens to them. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it that way, but it's, it's true. Like as a competitor, you want to, you're, you don't have to be doing the best you can all the time. Mm-hmm. You just have to make your competitors think you're doing the best you can all the yeah. time. Right. And so you come past them and, and you're, and they're like, Oh man, you're moving really well. And you're like, thanks man. And like, and then you get a half mile past them and you like really you're around the corner or whatever. And you slow it down and you breathe hard and you do whatever. But, oh, yeah. um, I don't know. That's an interesting thing about racing, right? Is like, there's a lot of, there's more, there's a lot of more mind games I think involved than people realize um, with some of that stuff. And yeah. I think that's the most exciting experience to have um, even on the other end of it. Cause I would wrestle with competing um, a lot, especially in jujitsu, right. And mm-hmm. like martial arts and even competing, you know, maybe for first place against your best friend and like what that, what that means. And I learned that I used to think that if I wanted to win and I'm going to make you lose um, that I'm being mean and like not mm-hmm. kind. And I realized that that's actually the, the craziest thing and that actually prevents us from having a good time. And I, because the whole point is, is to play the game, you know, the rule set, right. And the main yeah. thing is, is to not play within the rule set. And then when the game's over to be, you know, really rude. Right. Right. And, yeah. and to like treat the game as if it were real, but when you can treat it as a game, right. Yeah. And you can play mind games or you can play the physical games. That's when it's fun. That's like, you know, um, that's like, uh, making fun or poking with your best friend, you know, and like yeah. laughing together and stuff like that. You don't actually mean that. Right. But yeah. I think it goes beyond that where you're not just having fun. I think you're building trust in a relationship with your competitors and your own self in that. Mm-hmm. Can I have the desire to win? Can I be successful, um, without like, actually realizing that in real life if that makes sense like can i bring myself up to the edge and then pull away yeah yeah that's a i think that's good character building Mm -hmm. i think it definitely is man and yeah so you transitioned from um from doing this uh, your outdoor recreation with rock climbing and guiding and then you immersed yourself into hunting Um, yeah um yeah, essentially I moved to Colorado and I uh, actually moved to Colorado to brace bikes even more. And I did that, um, while I kind of got into hunting. Um, but it was like a building a sense of place is something we talked a lot about in adventure education. Um, 
And so ultimately when I moved to Colorado, I moved out of a van and into a house, um, you know, had, had my first, uh, married my first wife. Um, you know, we had, we had a little family and, uh, yeah, it gave me the opportunity, gave me the opportunity to have a, you know, a freezer and, uh, be hiking in the same places all the time, you know, kind of learning, learning some different landscapes here in Colorado. Um, and it really just felt like home. Um, has continued to be home now for me. Have, have you um, ever felt that feeling before that? that uh, home? No, not really. No, I like when I left, I mean, I left Calum, I left Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, for school. Uh, and it was, it was kind of a, it was a rough, it was a rough leaving in that. Like my mom had just sold our house. She moved in with her new husband. Um, I was the, the youngest. And so I literally like, I left an empty house. I was the last one to move out of the house, packed up my Jeep and, and, uh, or my blazer and, uh, drove across the country to, to Arizona and like was on my own, you know, and like out in the world. Um, that's, and intense. That was pretty, it was intense. Um, so it was, it was nice to finally, and then I lived in a van, right. I was like in Arizona, but I was really living in a van, like, kind of all over the place for the next bunch of years. So it was nice to land in Colorado and be like, have a house, have a wife, you know, have a, have, have this solid thing um, for a while that, uh, yeah. And, and just be kind of focused on one place for a longer period of time. Um, so that ultimately what, and then my brother lived here. So that was really like the, oh, that's cool. the first time where I was like, cool, let's, let's see what this hunting thing is all about. Like, let me fill a freezer. Um, so really for the first like five, four or five years, yeah, I mean, four years, um, I really, uh, I just hunted like one elk a year, you know, filled my freezer with the one elk and that's all we needed. And, uh, and it was kind of just like really only like a, you know, two weeks a year or something like that, that I was really focused on hunting itself. Um, but then, yeah, essentially at that point, then I, uh, whatever tumultuous life and uh divorce and all that kind of stuff but um, oh, sorry to hear that yeah that's happens it's okay yeah i've been better, there better i'm in a better place before for for it so oh, um good. yeah so uh yeah then we had an idea that we wanted you know we were kind of we we're like a, i'm a patagonia dude i'll just like i say it that way right like I, I like their style i like their ethos um and i brought a lot of that to the hunting space and uh but in inside the the kind of industry of hunting, I didn't see that um, replicated anywhere. I didn't kind of I didn't see myself in the hunting industry. Um, and so the first thing that happened there was that my brother and I were talking about it one day, and we were like, "Man, wouldn't it be nice to have a T-shirt that we could like? We're just T-shirt wearing dudes, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice mm -hmm. to have a T-shirt we could wear that was a good T-shirt and had a good print on it that we could really like stand behind? It said something about you know why we hunt." Um, and, uh, it came out of a conversation about like the idea of like, we'll hunt for food or, you know, like mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do whatever for work, you know, yeah. that kind of like the guy standing on the side of the street saying, you know, we'll work for yeah, like whatever. Some Fred Becky stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right. We'll belay for food or something. Um, and so, yeah. And then somebody, I can't, you know, I don't know exactly who said it, if it was myself or my brother, but somebody said, yeah, you know, I hunt to eat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's stuck, man. It's like, we, we never came up with a better slogan, um, than that. So we started a t-shirt company. Um, uh -huh. yeah, I had cool. really had no idea what I was doing. 
Um, but, uh, one t-shirt led to a second one. We kind of did like some Colorado focused designs. Um, I realized that I like actually doing the design work. I don't, I don't draw or anything, but I, I can explain to a designer of, you know, my ideas and I had good ideas and, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're probably into like somewhere into 160 different designs at this point over eight years. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of built a, I'd say a first of its kind apparel company in the hunting industry. Um, Mm -hmm. if you look around these days, you'll see a lot of folks, a lot of big brands realize that they needed better merch. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, I, I appreciate that there's a lot of that going on. We have a lot of competition these days in that space. Um, and at the same time, boy, you can still walk into a big box sporting goods store and see all of the crap mm-hmm. that we, that we did not like that, that made us, you know, essentially do what we did. Right. Um, yeah. Cause it's all still there. It's all still, and it's represents a, I think a, a part of hunting culture that is seen by mainstream America that most people don't like, mm-hmm. they're not into it. Um, it makes them, it doesn't give them a positive look on hunting. Um, and so I think that's, that was, that was one thing we focused on always is that we would never put out a negative message. Mm-hmm. Every one of our shirts is always going to be positive in nature. Um, and so that ultimately grew, um, or as I was able to grow the company. So my brother left after a couple of years to pursue kind of other professional stuff in the field. Um, and it really dawned on me that there, if it was that, um, awkward or that uninviting for me as a white able-bodied cis male to come into the hunting space, mm-hmm. um, and be so like, not, not into what was going on there, then there likely are a lot of other people that don't feel welcome in the space as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really kind of, that's why we've grown into, you know, having the tagline of community, real food and conservation is, is just trying to make this space, um, open and available, um, and, and share other people's stories who don't, who, who mainstream hunting industry doesn't talk about. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of our goal these days. So, um, which ultimately leads me to talk about like <laughs> all the other stuff we've got going on. Right. So we're no longer just a t-shirt company. Um, but we, we pivoted not, not pivoted and we still make t-shirts, but, uh, we've pivoted into doing a lot of education stuff. So, um, going back to my roots as a adventure educator, um, we decided that it'd be a good thing to teach people how to hunt, right. To give, give all these folks who didn't have, you know, mom or dad or grandpa or whoever teaching them how to hunt, like we'll, we'll do it for you. Um, and so, or we'll, we'll facilitate that process for you. So, um, we've got, I think we'll probably end up doing around 20 camps this year. Um, yeah, all across the country. So not, not, not actually none in Colorado. Um, we'll, we'll have some stuff in Denver here shortly, um, kind of clinics and things, but, uh, yeah, Wisconsin, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas, um, we're kind of all over the place and, uh, everything from, you know, how to shoot a squirrel to a pig, to a deer, to, um, upland hunting, um, all of that stuff. Um, there's an opportunity for anybody to, um, you know, come in and, uh, be in an, in an inclusive, you know, caring, um, community that, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't matter who you are. doesn't, doesn't care if you're, you know, a person of color, if you're transgendered, if you're whatever you're, whatever 
you know, however you identify, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to make it a space where you're welcome um, and feel comfortable to really dive into the hunting experience and, uh, and facilitate a really powerful experience. Cause it is powerful, right? I mean, the taking of life is not, it's not, it's not a little thing. It's mm-hmm. a, um, it's a big conversation. Um, and, uh, on that note, I think it's, uh, uh, it's a, this is actually a fun time to talk, have this conversation with you. Cause I get to drop that. Not only are we now, you know, a, an education company, but we're also a media company. And so, um, in, in that we, uh, in, in to share all these stories, right? Like we, we either needed really good partners to share our stories for us, or we essentially just needed to become a media company. Um, and so that's kind of what we decided to do. So I took on a couple of partners at hunt to eat, um, and they've done a really good job in some other, um, parts of the hunting industry to be a media company. Um, and so now they're helping me do it here for hunt to eat. So we're launching the hunt to eat magazine, um, August 1st. Um, so when this drops, um, it will have just been announced. Um, we've got a, a couple of different podcasts coming out along with it, but really we're building ourselves our own bully pulpit to stand up and say, Hey, this is, this is what hunting is for us. And, you know, these are the folks that we see in the hunting space that we think their stories should be amplified and, uh, you know, and have it hopefully be a little bit different than what has been happening in the hunting industry for the last, you know, 30 years. So, uh, I'm excited. It's, uh, I think the, uh, the cover story for the issue zero, um, of the magazine is actually, um, it's written by a, a, a geriatrician, um, who went on her first, um, Wyoming antelope hunt. It was her first hunt ever. And uh, so she talks about, um, essentially the difference of her kind of juxtaposes the, uh, the taking of life, um, in a hunting situation for her own food. And then also kind of what it's like to deal with death on a daily basis. Right. And, and dealing with older folks who are going through that end of life process and, uh, not only how they go through it, but honestly how their family goes through it. Um, and just like the, uh, I, I'm going to tan, it's a bit of a tangent here, but mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to be on the becoming human podcast. Right. I think death is, death is so much of uh, about like, it's, it's there for all of us. Right. Like mm-hmm. we become human and then we die. Yeah, right? exactly. Like at the end of the day, nobody is, nobody's going to escape it as much mm-hmm. as some might think that, you know, science will make make it a lot, make it. As much as we a, try to escape from it and all right. the varieties. Yeah. You. Right. And we hide it. Right. And that's, that's, so that's why I like your podcast so much. And I, why I think the conversation is so important is because, um, in being human, we have to deal with death right? And everybody has to deal with it. They have to deal with it every day when they eat something, right? Um, I always say that everyone's a hunter. Some people (laughs) hunt with dollar bills. Some people hunt with bows and arrows and guns, Mm -hmm. right? But at the end of the day, like if you're pulling that plant out of the ground in your garden, Mm -hmm. you're killing it to eat it. And that's okay. And it's good to have a relationship with your food. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where we kind of, we, we want to start with folks is like, we want to welcome folks into the hunting community, um, no matter where they're at. Right. Like if you, if, if that's your, if that's where you're at, you walk into a grocery store and go, huh, what's the difference between me buying this product or that product? If you're having that conversation with yourself, that's a great starting point to think about like, what are the real life consequences of your actions of your hunting actions of where you spend your dollars 
to engage in your food, in the food systems that support you. Right. Like that's a really good conversation. Um, that I think a lot of folks don't have, or it gets hidden from us, right? Like mm-hmm. the food producers even don't want us to know like where all this stuff comes from or how it gets produced or all that stuff. Um, similarly with death in humans, right? Yeah. Like the medical kind of industry, the, the industrial complex, um, it hides death, right? Like we put all of our old people in old folks homes. They don't live in our houses with us. We don't have multi-generational houses. Um, mm-hmm. we just hide it away from folks and people were like, well, um, this geriatrician who wrote the story, I mean, she, she has told me oftentimes, right. That it's, um, people will be like, Oh, well, grandpa's about to die. So we're thinking of, you know, sending the kids away for a little bit of time so that, mm-hmm. and it's like, why in the world would you not share this like really important life step mm-hmm. with kids? Yeah. Um, and they want to hide it from them. And it's like, what, why? Like that's, you're, you're hiding being human yeah. from them. And, and what are know? they going to think when they're an adult? And then like the more you delay things, does, does that get easier? Yeah. It's, I've had people with this a lot where like, um, if someone died, they'd tell their kids, um, Oh, you just tell them that they moved. And I was like, do you do that with everyone? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. That's, it's bizarre. And it's not it's as bizarre. A, and, and less as a criticism towards them where I get yeah. that way. I wonder like that's an extreme representation of trying to hide, you know, the reality of dying. Yeah. And then I look at my own self and I'm like, do I do that? Like without noticing it? <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, that's part of doing hunt camps and teaching them, people about hunting really, I think is like, is about just teaching people what it is to be human, um, mm-hmm. teaching people what it's like to become a predator. Um, I think there is a big difference, um, in that experience of, you know, walking down a trail, even like mega adventure, climbing up a mountainside or ripping down a trail on a mountain bike. Like it's an invigorating and thralling, um, exciting all these things. Um, but it's not a relationship with, the actual living being that is nature, right? There's, there's a different thing that happens when you walk off the trail and come into contact with a deer in the woods with a gun in your hands. Um, there's a, there's a very real relationship that is instantaneous that happens. Um, and when you're trying to take that thing's life, um, it's just different. It's different than landing your, you know, your backflip on your skis or whatever, and being super pumped about it. Like it's just a different, um, I would call it more human experience, um, to become a predator in the woods like that. So, um, and I don't, I don't think that everybody needs to do it, but I sure do think that it's a powerful thing that if you're curious about food and, um, and what that's all about, like it's, you're gonna, you're gonna enjoy it, which is a weird thing to say about, um, killing things, but it's more than the killing, right? There's a, there's a million pieces to that puzzle. Um, and that, it's a lot of fun. And I think that it's a reflection of who you are too, because like, you know, we try to be kind and virtuous as people or most people do. Right. And the question is, is like, to, to we have to ask our own self cause it's, it can be very personal. Um, what, what is like, what is being virtuous and what is being kindness or really what is being a good person? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think about this a lot 
in terms of how I deal with my son. Is it making him comfortable all the time? And, you know, is it like if every time he's is he's hurt, trying to alleviate of him, him of all of that kind of pain? And I would do that. And then I would see that he becomes more fragile. And then I'm like, mm. that's that's interesting. I see that this is essential. But like, how do I be encouraging and how do I help him step a little bit outside of his comfort zone while comforting him and being compassionate? And then to layer that, that's a parenting situation. And then as a competitor with jujitsu, once again, like how do I, how do I win and take up space and make it and agree that I'm going to do everything that I can to dominate and be the person to be first and believe that I'm going to be the one who wins and you're going to be the one who loses. But with the mindset of I'm going to try, because I'm the kind of person who's like, uh, maybe I might win. And really in my reality, it's like, I don't have this personal belief. And I think when you, when you're hunting, that's like the, the reality of it, because how do you kill something and how do you be compassionate and loving and not just mm-hmm. to yourself or the world in general, but literally how do you make something die because you have to eat it like for this meaning yeah. and then yeah. love that thing and say that you yeah. love deer. Like I hear people say that, you know, some of their favorite animals are like a bear and they hunt bear. It's like, how yeah. do you hold that conflict in your head? Well, yeah. How do you like, how do you make friends that you run with in your ultra race? Yeah. And how do yeah. you try to fuck with them in their head so yeah. that they lose? Like, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, man. I think that in our current culture, we have, we are moving away from the ability to hold those two very contradictory ideas in our heads and be okay with it. Yeah. And I think that's the nuance of the conversation, right? Is that, yeah. I love deer. I love all the elk and that one in particular. Um, it's not that I hate it. It's just that I'm going to eat it. Um, and I know that by the things that I do, you know, outside of when I'm actually in the active hunting them, right? Like I'm doing everything I can to make sure that there's more better habitat for more elk. Mm -hmm. Right. So that I get to take that one every year so that there's thousands of more every year for, you know, for other people to, see or experience or whatever. Um, but yeah, you gotta, you, you do have to hold two very contradictory thoughts in your head and be okay with it. Um, and that's, that's not something that we in today's left and right world, we want to do a lot of, um, can you, can you instruct it though? And then like, here's the thing that I kind of have a hard time with sometimes in if I were in a classroom setting and I were to want to teach you this thing that you've obviously you're learning about yourself right through through hunting and other things um is there like a very clear boundary that you give to people like this is how you um kill something and eat it and this is how you deal with your feelings and this is how you should be or is it more valuable to give them an experience to facilitate an experience and listen to how they're dealing with it individually and how they're making sense of it individually? Like, does it vary so um, much person to person that lends itself more to a facilitation? It definitely does. I mean, well, so let me say this. Uh, we are, we are all human. And so I think in that sense, there is a very human response that happens to these things. Um, that being said, every particularly older folks um, who have a way more life history and probably life drama that has happened or drama slash trauma that has happened to them, um, they carry a lot of shit into the woods with them 
that then gets put on to the situation of, oh, I just killed this thing. What the hell does that mean? You know, and then the story just starts to build and, and spiral. Um, and so there is a very, we do just like a lot of good facilitation. It's generally one-on-one or one-on-two um, of listening to what what's going on and then trying to make, not make, uh, trying to provide them either in, inside of conversation or inside of um, uh, ceremony, essentially of uh of a way to like understand and hold those two very you know different ideas in their head and and know that it's okay right um and literally just telling people like hey this is okay like or hey like you feel sad right now like cool like let's let's do a ceremony to hold that space and give you know give this animal the respect it deserves to go on to wherever it's however whatever your belief is of soul and energy and that kind of thing. And like, yeah, let's do something to like commemorate this moment. Like it's important. Um, so it is definitely a very one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-two kind of like personal experience. Right. But, um, we've got some fantastic educators that can facilitate those, those really important moments. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's interesting and it's, you know, it's ever, it's ever evolving. We've had some camps where also like nobody kills anything. Right. We spend a lot of times walking in the woods because that's funny. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we we try to set it up so that there's, you know, the opportunities um, are as kind of as good as they might be. Um, But at the end of the day, like if if the deer doesn't or the turkey doesn't cross your path and nobody ever takes a shot, then like that, that's hunting. And there's a lot to be learned there as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to, to, you know, it's a, like, it's one, I think it's one of the bigger life experiences some people will have is like taking another life. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think those, that's really important. Um, and so I'm just, I'm always, uh, I'm always thrilled. Like it's a, it's a very, uh, I feel privileged to like be there, you know, and to be able to facilitate that process for folks. Yeah. I would say that there's like, there's a few experiences that are very profound and universally profound, like yeah. you know, running a hundred miles and like, like running really far or maybe just traveling really far by your own human power and being able to visually look back, you know, being able to like climb and like, there's these yeah. things in there that will like just rocket is an experience your whole lifetime. And, yeah. and that's what I was wondering because we don't, in terms of like having to kill and, and harvest and then know that that's like, you're displacing in order to live and to like, you literally get to confront that. Whereas I think a lot of people just have uh, an idea of what that is without any grounding or without any baseline that they could attach to. And it's interesting. It seems sometimes in our culture that there's even that there's a little bit of um, self-hatred sometimes within how we impact things. And I think it's interesting because I think displacement or no, I, I, it's a matter of fact, really displacement is fundamental to life. Like anything that grows displaces something else, you know, like mono crop agriculture is an extreme example, but like if a tree mm-hmm. grows, it displaces opportunity for, for brush in the understory. Right. Mm-hmm. And if like, if a bunch of stuff, if a bunch of trees grows and you have old growth, then, you know, deer or whatever, they, they feed on more browse. Right. And like the, 
the open place, they have more abundance of food. Um, the wood beetles that come in, I think those might be evasive, invasive. Yeah. They destroy trees, right? Um, pigs, even though that they're, you know, like Texas and California, even though they were introduced there, they destroy habitat and displace habitat. Yeah. Um, we have the thing now within our culture where, you know, everything that we do obviously has a net impact. And that's everything, every life has a net impact to other life. And all these other, all these things we do is not felt. It's abstracted. Even when I drive my car and I use my gas, like I, sure. I really don't understand how that affects things other than the data that I look at. But the only sure. time that I can 100% feel it is hunting. Because like even uh, climbing, arguably all of it, climbing, trail running, mountain biking has you, when you're successful and when you go out and ride or run, you displace and not just in your traveling there, like think of all the trail work that had to go in there. Think of the animal habitats that are displaced because of where you're at. And that's not like angry, hateful people, but it's like what you do always has a cost. And you know, what do you do about, how do you think about that? What do you do about yeah. it? And I think that when it comes down to hunting, um, that feeling that you have, you know, that like sense of success and perhaps remorse or, or that, mm-hmm. that, that other thought, I think that's the thing that we're very far removed from. And there's mm-hmm. very few real experiences, not education, but real experiences that, that has us like deal with that in a very tangible way. Yeah. Yeah. Real life consequences, man. That's, yeah. Uh, that's back, back to that. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's just a consequence to pulling the trigger every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's powerful to sit with, I mean, I talk about the first time I killed, um, I, you know, again, I didn't have context really for killing anything. And the first time I killed something, it was an elk. So it was huge. It was huge life, right. That I took. And so now the more I've, the more I've hunted and the more I've killed things, it's maybe a little bit, um, I have the context for it. So it's not as, it's kind of like, Hey, you're running a 5k is easy. And then it's like, want to run hundred K or hundred miles. And it's like, Holy shit, that's huge. Right now. It's like, I've killed enough elk where I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in like the grand scheme of things. And yet the first time I did it, um, I won't ever forget. I mean, it's the most powerful or the most spiritual experience I've had is to sit next to an animal, um, and let that last breath, you know, escape into the world. And that, you know, for me, that's like a, that's what I call that, that God energy, like leaving and going into the world. Mm. I mean, there's, there's nothing more powerful than that. Um, and it's, and it's still, even though I've done it numerous times now, it's still as powerful. Um, I just have to remember to bring myself to be present to that moment. You know, um, sometimes I might forget that. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Real life consequences. It's, uh, you know, and, and like you said, right, like we're the idea that we displace something all the time. Um, some of us think about it more than others. And I think that in certain instances, maybe, uh, we as humans like to create a lot of story around it, right? Like the idea of like that displacement is good. That displacement is okay. That displacement is bad, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like the world doesn't, the world doesn't necessarily care. It's <laughs> things are going to yeah. keep displacing each other one, one way or the other. Um, we're going to create the story around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
if, if I can just help build a, a, a humanity that is a little bit more conscious of the ways in which we displace, um, in the world, um, and build a little bit of learning around it, then like, I think I'm doing an okay thing in the world. So and I think you're beautifully set up for it because you have that experience in facilitating those adventure, you know, um, experiences for youth and then yeah. come in with that kind of perspective and combine it with your experience with hunting is really interesting. Cause I don't know, like, you know, guiding in terms of hunting, I don't know if you get into that character development like you did when you were doing the facilitation and that's yeah. like, like I th- think a really cool opportunity when paired with hunting and using hunting yeah. is like that in that community that you're going to, that you build around your hunting camps. Like that's such a, yeah. that's so cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about it. I am excited about it. I, I think you're spot on. I, you know, there's, I think it depends on the guide you get, but in general, their, their end goal is to get you, you know, a dead animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, that's not my end goal. Like, I mean, that might be a byproduct of the camp is that you leave with some meat. Um, but ultimately I want you to learn something about yourself. I want you to learn something about the woods and I want you to learn something about your community. Um, and at the end of the day, if you get to go home and, and, and have a steak to cook for dinner, then, then that's, that's amazing. Um, but really I want you to be willing to go out there the next time with the skills in, in hand to try it yourself, you know, or to like, um, keep, keep building, keep building the conversation around where your food comes in your own community. Um, and, and the world, you know, and voting and voting in ways that protect, you know, uh, you having clean air and clean water and, and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of plates spinning in the air, but, uh, but I got a good team. So we're, uh, we're, we're rock and rolling here. That, that team's important too. And you said something about hunting earlier about how, you know, you don't, you can't, you guys do your best to, um, for people to be successful with hunting Yeah, when you guys, when they're at your camps, but it doesn't always happen. It's interesting that because of, you know, the situation of hunting itself, you can't always guarantee success. Um, you have that obviously in any other kind of like, uh, adventure, um, or real, a lot of experiences, right. Even with painting. However, um, a lot of those things you could look back to yourself on and there's very little outside variables, um, mm-hmm. that are clear, mm-hmm. right? Like you could, if you're climbing, it's like, ah, oh, weather's bad, right? Uh, I don't know if there's really much else or, oh, we got off route, right? But that goes back into yeah. you. And with hunting yeah. though, um, just looking at the success rates, you know, on public land and a lot of it, what, like sub 10% or so, um, yeah. that shows me in the conversations that I hear people in the hunting communities, um, there's more opportunities to accept failure and to not get, take it personal or get entangled in it. And just the love of being out there. That's almost like a unifying thing that I hear from people who are experienced hunters is just like, you know, I am just out here to be out here and, and fisher, you know, fisher people, like it's the same thing. You know, it's like, ah, I don't catch a fish or whatever. Ah, I didn't get my, um, I didn't, you know, get a kill or I didn't harvest. Um, I'm out here to be out here and spending even maybe a whole season that way. Um, and this is something that I think about when I work with kids is once they're developing their sense of self and their ego, like that identification with failure and, yeah. and hunting is so common. It's like, <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and so we definitely try to position it like, 
you going home without killing something is, I don't think is a failure, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you walked out of the woods and went, well, that was stupid. Then I might be like, that's a failure on me as an educator, as a facilitator, right? Because there's so much to, to engage with when you step off a trail, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just literally just like there's, I did it with a person in, uh, I took a, uh, a person out in Nebraska for her first deer hunt, uh, last January. And, uh, you know, we were like, we walked in the woods and we kind of sat down on this either side of a log. And I was like, we were hanging out and then a deer walked up the first deer walked up and kind of, you know, was looking at us and whatever. And then ultimately left. And I was just like, just had the idea of like, Hey, you know, that probably two people have never sat against this log the way we're sitting against this log. Right. And it's like a, it's like a little observation, but it's, it's just something that is different or unique to the experience. And you have a lot of those when you're out hunting because you're not on a trail, right? Like it's not like we are riding ATVs just on the roads and looking for elk. I mean, don't get me wrong. People hunt that way, Mm -hmm. but that's not how we teach, right? Like we're off trail, walking through the woods, looking for sign, um, you know, anticipating where an animal might come out and might be, um, and all that's all learning, right? So if you can go into that space and pick up that learning and have those, like, get, just get to understand like how cool it is that like, we might be the first hunters to ever have sat here looking for deer. Like that, that's a good human experience to have and just be, be present to. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the, in Oklahoma, when we didn't shoot any turkeys, um, the main, the guy that I was hanging out with the whole weekend, um, we liked the first day of turkey hunting. We found this amazing cave. Um, oh. they had a, like it was, had a waterfall coming over it and we were just like hanging out in there for a little bit. And it was just like, you know, it's just cool adventure yeah. right? of like getting off the beaten path and seeing stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, that's uh, cool. There's always a lot more to hunting, um, than just killing of an animal, right? There's, there's a million steps in the process there that if you're, present to them. Um, it's a very rich experience. When you step off the trail too, your, your association with the whole space and landscape changes, right? Because you don't have like, uh, when you're on a trail, I realize that there's like this micro route finding. I know it's more like climbing thing, but like, yeah. isn't, isn't really present in the sense that you just follow the trail and you're viewing and there's so much activity going along the trail. It really limits you to what you experience in the landscape so much. So I yeah. even hear that people who go and like do like uh, trail running, uh, hiking, backpacking, they actually don't see wildlife that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that. Versus, is, yeah. Yeah. Versus just versus going into a random place in the woods, sitting down and seeing how many different birds flicker around where you're sitting, right. That you've maybe never seen and like how they interact on the trees around you and, and the different things they do. Right. And it's like, that's part of hunting, right. And some of the most inspiring bits of hunting for me have honestly been around birds um Hmm. twice or three times now had uh i've had a birds land on the end of my gun while i've been like essentially like rested against the tree or like a a down log and i'm like half sleeping half watching right Mm -hmm. like in the middle of the day and just had like a couple of camp robbers or like the scrub jays literally land you know at like seven inches from my face, like on the tip of my gun oh my. and just kind of like, and kind of look at me and you have, you kind of come to, right. Cause you, 
they obviously do it because you're so still kind of napping there that like, they don't think you're a, a, a thing um, or a human um, and they land. And it's just a trip to like, be able to open your eyes to like something that you looking at yeah. you that closely. Right. Um, wow. Or like I had a little um, like a, what is this? Clark's nut hatch. Uh, yeah. Clark's nut, nut cracker. Like, the birds essentially they, they creep down the trees like upside down, right? Mm-hmm. And they're always looking for bugs. I was literally just like staring into space one day at this at this burned out forest. And uh, one of these guys like he came down and he literally would just walk right in front of my face at like six inches. And it's just like <laughs> it's just really cool. Right. And it's cool. like that's hunting. Right. That's like when I when I say like I love hunting, it's like mm-hmm. those are those moments that really stand out to me now. Yeah. Was it cool to hunt an elk and and kill that elk that year and and hard work and all that stuff? Sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, those moments with the birds actually sometimes stand out more for me, um, than than the end result. So, um, yeah. It's when you're quiet for a little while, it's odd because it's almost like this whole universe or, you know, that was, that was happening. Right. It's, uh, it all just comes out and it exists. You know, I've sat somewhere and for like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, there's all these animals that were here. I didn't even realize mm-hmm. any of this, you know, and, um, something that I recognize is when we have babies, you teach them to let you label things where you're like, you know, the spoon bowl, and all of these things. And the reason behind that is, is that you give them a sense of meaning. And so when they look at your kitchen, right, they, they don't see um, a kitchen or they don't, not even a kitchen. They don't see just like a bunch of colors and shapes, you know, and shadow and and all that other stuff. Um, And even if you didn't give them those labels then they would just see light, right? So we give them the labels and they start to tell a story and they start to make sense of the place that they're in. So their environment changes, fundamentally and it goes from very you know to higher and higher resolution if you will and Mm -hmm. then um when i look at like landscapes and nature um initially getting into it i would look and i would say trees and i'd like look at all these trees and i notice you know some lose their leaves some don't um Mm -hmm. and mushrooms just look at all these mushrooms um and that's kind of about it in birds, right? And I know the difference between like a hawk and a crow. Um, sure. What I realized though is, is if I learned what the, if I learned tree species or if I learned just what kind of animals do exist in this environment and I go looking or I look for insects, that it actually creates a sense of depth in the environment. So when I look, I don't just see color and shadow and that's it. Now I look and I'm like, whoa, there's like a patch of, you know, furs over there. I know that there's probably going to be these mushrooms here in this season. Or I know certain animals like to go, there's a saddle. I bet you animals go and travel through that saddle. Let's go look over there. And I can see and read the landscape and it fundamentally changes your experience. Like to anyone out there, if you just get, just learn something about it, it enriches your experience being out there. Totally. Yeah. It's, uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. It also, what I'll say about hunting, particularly, um, by yourself is that, um, you, you gotta get comfortable with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, like my la- my last elk season, right. Like, and just in general, my hunting experiences when they are by myself, right. Last year I had a week in the woods. Um, I hunted, I hunted, 
seven days and six of them were by myself and they were full days in the woods, right? The year before I hunted 26 days of the elk season of the archery elk season. And only one of them was with another person. So that's, you know, every year I have roughly, you know, it changes every year, but like last year I had six days in the woods all day by myself. I'm not seeing another person, right? I'm not having a conversation with another person. Um, you ultimately like when all the shit goes away, you figure out if you're comfortable with yourself, you know, like, do you, do you, do you like the company you keep? What is, what does that mean um, to you in terms of like, do you like the company that you keep? Do you find that we often comfort ourselves with distractions? Um, yes. Yeah. I, well, I don't, I don't think that most people, are given the opportunity. Um, and it might be and don't get me wrong. I understand the privilege. I certainly understand the privilege that I have, um, for time, um, and resources to like spend that time, much time alone. Um, and, uh, you know, and I do it with a lot. I mean, I, I get that privilege. Um, I also, I think it's so important that I, put a lot of my own resources behind being able to do that, you know, and have that experience. But I don't think most people mm-hmm. spend time alone. Like yeah. if, if you're living in a day-to-day work, kids, dinner, TV, like when, when are you by yourself, mm-hmm. let alone when are you by yourself in a wild, you know, in nature. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm like, most people just don't even have that experience. Um, and I think that takes away from be, becoming human, right? Yeah, like yeah. you are not becoming human um, at home, day-to-day work life, in the office, kids making dinner, you know, like watching TV, like that, if anything, you're moving backwards. Mm-hmm. And so I think being in, being able to have the time to go in the woods by yourself and, uh, and see if you like the company you keep in those quiet moments, um, that's like, it's important. Um, for us to understand because some, I think a lot of people might get in the woods and be, mm-hmm. be scared shitless of the company that they keep. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, that's just like, that's some, something everybody has to figure out for their, you know, on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think actually hunt camps facilitates a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. We try to give people the time to be by themselves a little bit. Um, but yeah, you like in the quiet moments, like, are you cool with, with what you have? Um, those are the subtle yeah. things that that play out in all of our day to day existence as well. Our relationship to ourselves, because I've learned that through those times alone, um, in my own head, how much my relationship to myself informs obviously everything, but even my own parenting and how I parent my son, right, and the things that I don't like in other people because I realize the things that I don't like in other people or the expectations I hold to my son are often the things that I don't like the most about myself. And I only learn that in absence of distractions an absence of comfort. And I find that in it's harder in the trail running and the hunting, you're directly attuning your, your hearing to the environment. Like you don't have a choice. Like, you know, when you run, it's like, I'm not going to listen to music or whatever. I'm going to be right. out here. But like, or when you go backpacking by yourself, you know, maybe you got to save your battery and that'll do it. But you're really constrained to like be in the moment. 
And it's, it's really hard to be in the moment, even for seconds. And for people out there who are like, I could go off and be alone. It's like, we'll go, you know, here's one that everyone could do. Go and sit somewhere by yourself and try to count your heartbeat for like 20 to 60 seconds or 20 to 60 beats. And that's mm-hmm. just, just your heart. And it's like, oh, it's silly. You know, it always beats. It's like, no, try to think about focus on one certain, one particular thing and don't let your focus deviate. And when it does, come back to it and see how far you can get before your focus drifts off again, you know? And that's that, yeah. like that sense of presence. And I think that what you were saying about harvesting an animal, um, and we we're talking about climbing and the distance, I think being alone, um, in places like that, where you don't have a lot to do is, um, is one of those really powerful experiences that'll like just change how you relate to yourself, you know? Like if you just Mm -hmm. do it once at least, like, you know, and the cool thing about that is, is going for maybe a backpacking trip by yourself alone is a little more spendy. Um, But even less than that is going out for like a whole day trip out by yourself, you know, and on some public lands and going to go and feel what that's like. And it's beautiful because this is like, you can just open up your world more with this curiosity, you know, it's like, it's kind of weird. You can just drop yourself in that landscape and go have an experience. You know, you don't have to be there to tell someone how to compose themselves and how to be, it's like, just go do it and see what you find. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's beautiful because the education is within. And, you know, sometimes like guidance and facilitation and even pure education is really important, but there's a lot within your own self that's pretty valuable, even if you come from a place where you have no experience of being there, going there, even if none of your family does that. Like, look at how yeah. you've come into hunting and your um, relationship with hunting growing up. Like, that circle, dude, <laughs> that's wild, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where can per- people find out more about you, Matting? Or me? Um, yeah, Matting. Yeah. Um, it's a. Uh... Uh, if you want to, if you want to follow me, um, if you just look Martin Patalis on Instagram, you'll find me. There's not a lot of other, um, folks by that name. Um, and then honestly, hunty.com, um, you can come and check out. That's where all the camps are listed. Um, all the recipes, all the gear, um, the magazine will be up there. You can get a subscription. Um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, the magazine is going to be really cool. It's going to have, um, you know, constant call. There's going to be some columns in there. There's going to be a homesteading column in there. Um, from Jonah and Jonah's Ooh. new podcast on homesteading. Um, the, uh, the new chef podcast is going to have, uh, some recipes in it from the chefs we're working with. Um, Mike Nadesky is going to have a column on kind of, uh, uh, this more kind of the ethics and kind of these deeper thoughts, um, that we're talking about here. Um, yeah, good, really good long form stories, really great photography. Um, recipes if i didn't say that like it's definitely uh it's it's focused at the hunter um who really cares about where their food comes from and wants to kind of deep dive into some into some things that maybe the traditional hunting industry hasn't uh provided for them so um yeah that's and then we're on instagram as well hunty um you you look for the logo with the two knives um field knife and a chef knife that's kind of our our logo that we go by everybody needs one if you're a hunter you need those two things to take take it from the field and to give it to your community, you got to have a field knife and a, and a chef's knife. So yeah, 
you guys got your uh, um, podcast coming out soon, which is in more of like a shorter form editorial podcast series. So we'll have the Hunt to Eat show that's coming as well. Um, that'll be Paul and Casey will be hosting that one. Um, pretty funny. One, one's Canadian, one's uh, one's here in Colorado. So there's a bit of uh, U.S.-Canada relations that we're dealing with there. Um, and uh, yeah, um, looking forward to it, man. There's a, like I said, a lot of things coming down the pipe here. Um, essentially as soon as this podcast drops in August, yeah. um, all that stuff will be, will be on the website and known to everybody. So uh, please come check it out. If you're, uh, if you're at all hunting curious. That's awesome. Thank you for your time, Martin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. yippee Kai, yay That was a good episode. I really enjoyed that. I love talking to Martin. His experience of growing up in um, a household that hunts, but not really, not really seeing the love and the passion for it until later on in his life and bringing all these perspectives of not being that to the scene of what it's like to be a mountain guide and helping people uh, facilitating this experience out in nature, his experiences uh, um, in the creative world with adventure photography and then coming into hunting. Um, it's an interesting intersection of abilities. And I love the fact that he has taken that skill set and he's delivered for the community uh, a service and opportunity you know, to to get more people into these experiences and to connect with them on a deep level. Um, you can check out more at hunttoeat.com. Check them out on Instagram. And be sure to check out their upcoming podcasts and their newest magazine, which is uh, pretty cool. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week.
shadow the light No, let your words sing shine so bright before Because the truth don't always come out right You know, you know, you know I said, hey, won't you come my way? Don't be shy, baby, it's okay I know it's been hard for you lately Cal, gone, won't you come and take me? But in this life, I gotta prosper If you're feeling good, we gotta spread it on proper Fill it to the brim, fresh glass of water Pour it on like you pulled the stopper Because you are beautiful And can't nobody break your soul You got more to offer than you know It's time to rise up and just let it go Just be Like a beacon of light, light, light up this room so bright. If we all believe, it's like a hula hoop giving speak. Speak like a beacon of light, light up this room so bright. If we all believe, Death and dreams Now what I mean might seem metaphoric But in time let your mind explore it We orbit a star on a giant rock Or so we've always been told through science talk Earth life fueled from water and sunlight If we are apes evolved to walk upright Right up on top of the food chain Vibe with the tide The mood makes our mood change Calendar annual The female human is a magical animal Since we were eating on the Eden apple I do the knowledge on a modest goddess Their energy is hard to harness After all, we are all made out of stardust Speak like a beacon of light Light up this room so bright If we all believe It's like a hula hoop giving us Speak like a beacon of light Lighten up this room so bright Everybody believes Give and receive Speak Light Right Believe As they speak Light Right Believe Thank you guys so much We are Useful Jenkins Give it up for Big Zach